we came down here in 2015. My husband's job brought us down here. Um, and we felt like God called us here later on. We didn't know that at the time mm -hmm. when he brought us down here. I grew up and we kind of went to church randomly for some holidays and things like that. And it was kind of spotty between, you know, Catholic and uh, just non-denomination churches. I'd call myself a Christian just because that's kind of what you do, but I wasn't walking in faith. When we were moving down here, I had some stuff happen at the church that I worked at, and I was very resentful towards God and towards Christians at that time. But we had a set of neighbors that kind of loved on us and brought us to Bellaway by inviting us to different things and they became our life group leaders. Stephanie had invited Sam to a Bible study and she had started going, but I wasn't, I wasn't atheist, but I wasn't a believer neither. And then, you know, Ryan had invited me to go hunting with him and we were listening to some a sermon series by Matt Chandler at the Village Church about Exodus. And it's like God just opened my ears and opened my eyes to, to what he was saying. And it was just so fitting to my life, you know, being drawn out to be drawn in and you know things just started happening and when I you know he invited me later to go to a Bible study at Mad Coffee called Purify with Jeff Smith and you know some of the guys testimonies that they were sharing there just really grabbed my grabbed my eyes and attention and you know it gave me the faith to step out and say I want to have that relationship with God that they have I caught fire for God started reading my Bible just changed my life, you know, overnight. It was like a light switch went on and, uh, you know, she thought I was putting on a show and kind of faking it because, you know, we were having some marriage issues and- We were on the brink of divorce. Yeah, we were just having a lot of, a lot of things going on. Let's just be so. realistic. Having people intentionally um, seeking you has really helped us because they showed us the love of God by being the hands and feet for mm -hmm. us. You only get out what you put in, so if you're willing to be vulnerable and open, they're willing to be vulnerable and open. So I mean, I think that goes a lot. If you're there for them, they'll be there for you. But it gives you just that that closeness and makes big church seem a little bit smaller. You know, it makes it seem a little more homey and realistic. Come on, Bellway Park. That's incredible. Did you hear it? See, I, I'm concerned that we get around certain things of God so much that we take it for granted. Jesus still changes lives. Here, Jesus is still moving people from darkness into light. He's moving them from a place of being an orphan and on their own into a place of being a child of the king. It's not Beltway Park that changes lives. It's not sermons that changes, changes life. It is Jesus that is still in the business of changing lives. But you heard through the testimony of scriptural truth. Jesus often, maybe most often, does his work through other people. From what I can see in the Bible, it is an impossibility for us to obtain the fullness of the abundant life Jesus died for us to have without each other, without people who are purposely in our lives encouraging us, challenging us, bearing our burdens, helping us learn the ways of God. That is why we have groups around Beltway Park. Pure and simple, I know reality. I know we're a big church. I know we have lots of people. And I'll just be really honest with you. We're praying for more. 
There's a reason we have seats in our rooms and we have big rooms because we want to have space for you to bring your friends, for people who need to know Jesus. There are people throughout the big country who are just like Sam, who at, at this juncture of their life, they don't have hope. They don't have life in Jesus Christ and we want to have room for them. So we have extra parking places. We have extra seats. We do all sorts of things. So they have an opportunity to be part of things at Beltway Park. And we're going to continue to pray, continue to labor to see as many people as possible know Jesus. We're going to work with all the churches in our region because I want every church to be big. I want every church to be drawing people to have hope in Jesus Christ. Knowing this, we have groups where large can become small where we can actually create the possibility for community. Being part of a group doesn't automatically put you in community. It creates the possibility of community where we can fulfill what we see in the New Testament. Hear me, I understand it's risky to be part of a group, especially if you're the new one in a group. But I've discovered in life that the things that have the greatest return often start with the greatest risk. So a passage that I believe God has given to me for 2023, I think he's given it to us. We started unpacking it last week. The fifth chapter of Ephesians says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days we live in are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We cannot live out the reality of these verses without each other. It is an utter impossibility. And I know even as I'm saying that, I'm asking you to trust me a little bit. But please understand, this is not my first rodeo. I've been doing this a long time. This weekend, man, I need my bag up. This is my born again weekend. 43 years ago, January 14, 1980, God gave me grace to be his follower. I know the moment, I know the day, I've been blessed in that time in my life that God has done that. So for 43 years, I've been running after Jesus. For 35 plus of those years, I've been in some form of leadership. If you will trust an old man a little bit, I've watched thousands of people on faith journey. And I've watched those who prosper and succeed and find abundant life. And I've watched those who taper off. And the people who do best most often, not absolute, but those who do best most often, they're part of community. I'm just saying community is well worth the risk. So if you're not part of a group, I can't encourage you enough to take that step. If you're part of one of our physical campuses today, North Campus, South Campus, right after service, you can go into the foyer. South Campus, you go to the South Foyer. North Campus, you go into the foyer, and we've got people there at a kiosk. You sign up right there, and they're going to help you find a group that fits the situation that you are in in life. Or if you're at our physical campuses or you're online, you can go right now. I'll give you permission to go to your phone. Just don't get distracted. Go to your phone, fill out the form at beltway.org slash group. Somebody will get back to you as quick as we can in, in doing that. Because we need people. Hear me. And there's people who need you. Don't think it's just about you receiving. There's something deposited in each of us by the Holy Spirit that other people need. And we need to be in proximity to one another in purposeful ways where we can help give that. I encourage you can't encourage you strongly enough to be part of that so that we can live out the encouragement of the text. Hear the text again. Look carefully then how you walk. 
Be really alert as how you live life, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Somebody shout best. Best is this incredible word. The heart of God for you and I is that we have best. In the midst of the days that are evil, God wants us to have the best. Therefore, based upon the heart of God that he desires us to have, everything he designed us to have from the beginning. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Now see that. Catch that. This is an incredible promise we need to hear. We can understand what the will of God is for our lives. In fact, I'll go so far as to say we should understand God's will for our lives. And I believe you are investing time here today at one of our physical campuses, our online family, however you're doing it. At some level, we all want to know God's will for our lives. But of all the things that surround our faith journey, what I've discovered in all my years is that which we struggle with most is actually the will of God. The question I receive far more than any other question is, Pastor, I just need to know God's will for my life. I wanna know what God's will for my life is. And the reason I find that we struggle is we have a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches us about the will of God. So what I wanna do for a few minutes um, this morning is I want to unpack the foundation of what the Bible teaches about God's will. It's something I've shared about a few times up here. I will share about it in the days to come because we need to make sure foundations are laid strongly. God's best for our lives is tied to the will of God. So for a few minutes, what I need you to do, I need everybody to take a deep breath, and I need you to put on your thinking hat. It's gonna take about like eight minutes. That's all you gotta do, focus in, really well for like eight minutes, and let's hear about the will of God because the Bible actually reveals to us three facets of the will of God. Three different segments, often referred to as the providential or sovereign will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God. They're written down on your notes so you don't have to worry about remembering them in great detail. Providential, moral, and personal. Now, the Bible itself does not use those exact words. So don't get a concordance, don't do a search on your version Bible or anything like that because you're not gonna find those phrases there. These phrases, these categories have been developed by Christian leaders over the century to, for us to be able to grasp the facets of the will of God as taught in the scripture. The providential will of God refers to the things that God is going to do regardless. Listen to me, some things are determined. Some things are are going to happen and nothing, hear me, nothing is going to stop them. And that which is determined almost always centers around Jesus. When Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Shavuot, the Feast of Harvest, also known as Pentecost, he stood before people and he said, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose, by God's foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death on by nailing him to the cross. This is the providential will of God. Jesus was going to come. Jesus was going to become human, become incarnate. He was going to live a life as a human, perfect, offer himself as a payment of penalty for our sins on the cross. He was going to go to a place of death. He was going to go to hell. He was going to overcome death, hell, and the grave to offer you and I victory. That was going to happen, and nothing 
in all of creation was ever going to stop that from happening. That is the providential will of God. His first coming and, listen to me, his second coming. He's coming again. Nothing will stop him from coming again. Nothing will thwart it. Nothing will keep it from happening. The wisest thing we can do is to make sure we're ready for that which is inevitable. Like there's a facet of the return of Jesus that we honestly don't like to talk about anymore. We love to talk about the groom coming for the bride, the marriage supper of the lamb. But the Bible says that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. There is a thing of judgment. Every person on planet earth who has ever been, is, or will be will stand before the great white throne and they will give an account for what they did with Jesus. Pure and simple. Did we embrace him or did we reject him? Now you're saying, David, that, that, that's pretty sobering. It's supposed to be. But it's also really good news when you think about it. We live, according to verse 16 of our passage, we live in an evil day. And sometimes in the midst of the evil days, things don't seem right. Like we've seen times where there's a lot of injustice that happens and no one seems to pay for the injustice. I want you to hear me. Justice in this creation is delayed. But justice will happen. No one will miss the justice of God because we will stand before the great white throne. Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. It is the providential, sovereign will of God. And nothing, say nothing. Nothing will keep it from happening. So the wise person makes sure they're ready for that which is going to happen. But the question comes, well, is every aspect of God's will determined? Do our choices really make a difference? And the answer is absolutely our choices matter. Not everything is determined. The moral will of God refers to the do's and don'ts God has commanded in his word. Like 1 Thessalonians 4.3 unpacks God's will for our life. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Question, without going into great detail, because we always have little ears that come into our room, has this facet of God's will ever been violated? Has it ever been opposed, not followed in our day? And some of you are looking at your watch and saying, well, if you just count the entire world, you're probably going to go, yes, it's been violated. Yes, it's been violated. Yes, it's been violated. It's been violated second by second by second, like every day in human history. Little side note. In two weeks, we're going to start a sermon series that deals with this. Sermon series I want you to invite your friends to be a part of. It's called Handle with Care, Christianity and Culture. We are going to deal with the big ones. Abortion, sexuality, gender identity, politics. I'm basically going to make everybody mad at some point in this whole journey. Actually, I don't think so. I think Jesus teaches us how to walk in culture right now. I actually think we are closer to living in a culture that's more like the times of Jesus than ever. And we can walk in grace and we can walk in truth. And that is what we're going to do. We're going to journey. This will be a great Again, invite family, invite friends, and let's talk about this reality as we learn to be a people who walk as Jesus would call us to walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of right now in the midst of a world like that.
Side note over. So if it is God's will that we avoid sexual immorality, that we be sanctified, how is it that God's will can be violated? It's really simple. God created free will as part of his will. God created humanity in love so that we could love him in return. I mean, it doesn't take a genius IQ, does it, to know that if God wanted to make us like robots that had to obey him, he could have done that. He created everything we know with the spoken world, all the intricacies of creation, all the things that amaze us, he created with just a word. If he wanted us to absolutely have to obey automatically, instinctually, everything he said, he could have done that. But that's not love. For love to be love, it must be chosen. So that love could reign supreme in his creation, God created free will as part of his will. So the moral will of God are the revealed ways of God, it's his commands and his principles, that bring abundance, they bring goodness to our lives if, somebody say if, if we walk in them, if we look carefully at the way we walk, verse 15 of the text, if we choose to obey these, but we do have a choice in life, these are God's ways for all people at all time. No exceptions. The moral will of God revealed to us in this gift called the Bible. We have the providential sovereign will of God. We have the moral will of God. You starting to get it? There's one facet, final facet of the will of God. It's called the personal will of God. The personal will of God refers to the unique things the Father wants to do with our individual lives, things that he would call us to do that he might not specifically call other people to do. So after Jesus was resurrected, he spent 40 days um, with the disciples, teaching them things. And we know he had a real interaction with Peter, Peter that he restored after his denial and things such as that. And Jesus was unpacking like a five-year plan for Peter's life. It really wasn't a five-year plan, but it was about his will for his future. And he said to Peter, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus told him to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Now, can we get kind of really vulnerable right here? Maybe one of the reasons we struggle with the will of God is we know that sometimes the will of God causes discomfort in our lives. It causes a stretching. It causes sacrifice in our lives. And sometimes we just say, hey, I, I'm not sure I want this in my life. But before you write off that this is something you don't want in your life, think about Peter's life. Before Jesus, what was Peter's life made of? Peter would get up in the morning, he would fish, hope to catch some fish, hope to provide a little bit for his family in life, a little bit of provision, a little bit of life, then he would go back, he would sleep, he would then wake up and repeat the whole process over and over and over again until one day you don't wake up, that's it. The whole goal of his life was to survive. And then one day he met a rabbi. And the rabbi said these exact words. Follow me. And then the world was opened up to him. As far as I know, Peter is the only human outside of Jesus that actually walked on water. I've taken hundreds of people to Israel. Without fail, everybody tries to walk on water in the Sea of Galilee. 
They all take a step. I watch them. I chuckle. I giggle. Some people are doing it kind of in a fun way. Some of them, man, like they've been praying it up, maybe fasting and going after it. Nobody has yet obtained to the walking on water. Yet Peter did. Peter was there on the shores of the Galilee when there were thousands of people. And Jesus said, hey, let's feed them all. And they're like, we got like a sack lunch. He says, give me the sack lunch. And he broke bread and he gave thanks. And it kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming. He saw it. It was Peter who was given the gift of the Holy Spirit who got to preach the first message about Jesus on the day of Shavuot. And 3,000 that day gave their life to Jesus Christ. It was Peter who had an anointing on him that he would walk down the streets of Jerusalem and his shadow would touch sick people. Just a shadow. They were made well. The demon eyes set free. The lepers were cleansed in his life. He went from day-to-day surviving to eternal purpose, to joy, to being a world changer, to being a history maker in life. And it all came because of the will of God. Was it always easy? By no means. Was it always comfortable? No. But was it good? Absolutely. Now, when Jesus told these words to Peter, Peter did what we all do. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John. And he saw that John was following them, and Peter saw him. He asked the Lord, well, what about him? Isn't that what we tend to do when God shows us something that we need to do with our lives? We look at everybody else and say, is everybody else going to have to do this too? Because we all have this sense of fairness in life. We want consistency. But Jesus answered him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is he to you? It's a great question. You must what? Follow me. Jesus didn't create an army of robots where we all do the same thing. The question we are to ask when God calls us to something is not what is everybody else going to do. The question we're to ask is, am I going to follow him? That's what I want for my life. Whether you follow him or not, I follow him. Whether people in my family follow him or not, I follow him. Whether anybody else is doing what he wants, that matters not. What are they to me? I follow him. And we have a lot of people doing that. See, there's certain facets of God's will. Usually the outgrowth of his moral will, specific ways he wants you to obey his moral will, specific things he wants to do in your life. There are facets of his will that will be unique to your existence. Things we were designed for, things we were made for, things we were called to, the personal will of God. You get it? You have the providential will of God. You have the moral will of God. You have the personal will of God. Now you can take your thinking caps off. You don't have to think anymore the rest of the morning. Ready? But you're probably asking the question, okay, I get it conceptually, but the question still shouts, how do I understand God's will? How do these work together? It's a great question. Second verse, Paul's letter to the church of Rome, Romans 12, verse 6, says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, somebody say then. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I know right now every one of us want good, pleasing, and perfect. We want that to be true of our lives. But let your eyes focus right here for a minute. Then, 
We know what that means. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, it means the exact same thing in English. It is a statement of condition. If you want this to be true of your life, if you want to be able to know and approve, you want to be able to discern what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, then you have to do what precedes the then. What precedes the then? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our bodies being offered as living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be renewed in the changing of the way you think. Then, somebody shout then then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You see, when most of us talk about, I wanna know the will of God for my life, what I've discovered is we're usually wanting God to answer a question. We've usually narrowed it down to a very specific element of the will of God, uh, of our life, the personal will of God for our lives. We are facing a specific situation I don't know the answer to, I need to make a choice, and I need God to show me how to make this choice. But way too often in the other parts of the will of God, we're kind of doing what we want to do. Almost immediately after I became a follower of Jesus, 43 years ago, I ran into this frustration. See, I had a desire. And that desire was, as a 13-year-old boy, I wanted a girlfriend. I know, I had trouble getting a girlfriend. I know it's shocking to you, it was shocking to me. Um, but who knew that awkward, small young men who mask deep insecurities with brashness and arrogance were unattractive to young ladies? <laughs> it took me like 10 years um, to figure that out in life. But now, I had God on my side. Now I am telling you, God and I were gonna go get me a girlfriend. And I prayed, I named, I claimed, and I acted in faith. I just started asking. Girl after girl after girl, which should shock you that I tell you where I am, kind of in range line, but I'm telling you, I was shot down again and again. I was like a wounded dove over a field of hunters going after stuff, man. Just bam, 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 getting shot down in life. And then it hit me, oh, you know, I didn't ask God who my girlfriend should be. That's it. I knew, and I would say, God, what is your will for the girlfriend in my life? What is her name? And I was asking God to show me this girl's name, this middle school girl who is gonna be the source of all my joy and happiness. No pressure there, right? And I heard nothing. And I was mad. Like, God, I became your follower and you're withholding your will for my life. What's up? And I know you're saying, well, David, you're 13. You're immature, but I'm telling you that way too often is a sample of how it is we approach the will of God. Most of the time when we ask about the will of God, it's a specific question, who should I marry? Do you know there's an assumption behind that question? The assumption is I'm supposed to get married and we all get really quiet. Is it God's will that you get married? Are you open to whatever God's will might be? Should I marry this person? Well, have we been concerned about other facets of God's will up to that time? Should I change careers? What should my major be this semester? If you're a college kid, <laughs> that's funny. You hear what I'm saying? Should I move? 
What about this specific situation with my child? What should I do? God, what is it that you want? What do you want me to do in this situation? And we feel like God is saying nothing in our lives and we find ourselves frustrated. We find ourselves angry because heaven seems to be silent. God is hiding his will from me. No, he's not. Way too often what's happened is we have ignored everything that comes before the then. I love how one author said it. He says, I will never experience guidance from God if my main goal with God is to get guidance. That's either a, whoo, that's good, or ouch, that hurts. I will never experience guidance from God if my main goal with God is to get guidance. It only makes sense for God to give me guidance if I'm in a deeper relationship with him that is forming my character and heart. Years ago, I adopted another phrase. I adopted a phrase from another preacher, um, which it could be a way of saying I stole it. Um, but reality is I had to buy this message. So my personal opinion is if I buy it, I own it. That's right. So I'm going to give him credit, but it's mine. And I memorized it because it was a world changer for me. And I lay it before you because I think it gives us a great summary of walking in the will of God. The more we surrender to the providential will of God, the more obedient we are to the moral will of God, the easier it is to hear the personal will of God. Do you see the order? Romans 12.1 implores us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Anybody remember who offered their body as a sacrifice? Jesus. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, he prayed, Father, if there be any other way for this to happen, would you let this cup pass from me? But then he said what? Not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus surrendered to the providential will of God. He surrendered to God's will for his life. What would happen if we did the same thing? What if every day, we woke up and said, God, I don't know what's going to happen today. and There's things I'm sure I don't want to happen and I want that cup to pass. But not my will, but yours be done. What if we said, I'm just going to surrender to anything you want in my life and I'm going to be ready for that day when you come that I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because you've got to realize that not only will believers stand before the great white throne, then believers are going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to be rewarded based upon the things we did and did not do. So every act of service that you think no one sees, God sees. Everything you do for the sake of his kingdom that you think no one sees, God is putting that in your account and then it will be rewarded fully when we get to heaven and justice will be perfect as we surrender to his providential will in life. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Then he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. How do we not conform to the pattern of this world? We have our minds renewed. How do we have our minds renewed? The word of God. I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you wanna know the will of God, almost all of the will of God's in the book. All you gotta do is get in the book. That's why it's so important that we become people of the word, that it transforms our lives. In fact, I'm gonna tell you, sometimes the reasons we avoid the word of God is not because we can't understand it, it's because we do understand it. And we struggle to do with what we do understand. I always want to encourage you. If you're not familiar with the word of God, just start reading in, in the book of Matthew. Don't even worry about the Old Testament. So many people start the new year, I'm going to read the Bible through. You start in Genesis, you get stuck about Genesis 22. Start in Matthew. 
and start reading about Jesus, learning about Jesus, read through the New Testament twice. Then let's go back to the Old Testament because we need the New Testament to help us really understand the Old Testament in life. God's word is going to reveal to us his will, his moral will, things that we're all supposed to do. And then what happens? We surrender, we obey, we hear. But way too often we're just trying to hear and then we do the rest of life on our own. Look carefully at how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Well, what does it mean to be wise? Well, it's those who want to make the best use of the time. The days we live in are evil. They can get us sidetracked. They can get us distracted. And then he's very specific. Don't be foolish. But do all you can to understand. To grasp what the will of God is. Hear me. You can know. You should know the will of God for your life. And God's will leads to best. Always. It leads to abundance. And the incredible news is this. You're actually not on your own to live out the will of God. I mean, you're going to have to come back next week, but God actually gifts us himself, dwelling inside of us to empower us to live out his will. Called the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's verse 18. Therefore, do not get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. And as we do that, incredible things happen. That's next week. Let us remember, though, today, as we daily submit to God, your will, not mine, be done. As we daily choose to walk in his ways, looking carefully to make the best, I promise you, you're going to hear. You're then going to hear more and more of the specifics of our individual lives. The good will of God. The pleasing will of God. The perfect will of God. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. So now that you have an overview, I dare you to ask the question, do I really want to know God's will for my life? At some level we do, I get it, we, I, we all do, I'm utterly confident of that. But can we also confess that there's another facet of us that struggle with it? It's the issue of control. Am I the only controller in here? See, I think we all want to do what we want to do until we really get desperate and don't know what we want to do. And what we find is far too often what we want to do is use God as an advisor. God doesn't serve as an advisor. He's king. He's king. Maybe you should say, God, that's what I've been doing. I've been using you more as an advisor than wanting to submit to your will every day. Maybe you just want to say, God, I, there's parts of me that are just afraid of your will. I'm afraid you're going to send me to Africa. I'm afraid you're going to have me stay in Abilene. I don't know what it is you're afraid of. I get it. I'm afraid of this. And maybe we just have to say, God, I'm, I'm afraid. There's a part of me that's fearful. Maybe we struggle to believe that God's will is best. Do you know the temptation from the beginning was to question whether God's will was best? The tempter shows up to Eve. 
did God say to you not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yeah, he said, he said, he'll die. He said, you're not going to die. When you eat of it, your minds are going to be open and you're going to know both good and evil. God's holding out on you. He's keeping you from what is best. That's the temptation. It's the temptation we still face. Could you just say, God, I want grace to believe that your will, whatever you show me to do each and every day, that's what's best. And if you with integrity can say, I, I want to submit to your will. Hear the phrase, the more we surrender to God's providential will, would you just say, God, let's surrender day in, day out. Your will, not mine, be done. Let it be more part of my life. The more I obey the moral will of God, oh God. What you show me in your word each and every day, would you show me steps of how to obey that? And then I'll trust you're going to show me the unique things you want to do with my life. Maybe you've never taken that first step to surrender to the kingship of Jesus. You can do so right now. Just like you heard in the opening testimony, there's a day that we come and our eyes are open to the reality that I'm a sinner that cannot save myself, but Jesus came, paid the penalty for my sins rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave and offers me victory, offers me new life, offers to adopt me into his family. All you got to do is say yes. You say yes right now. North campus, south campus, you may be online somewhere around the world. You just say yes to him. Say yes, I want to be your follower. And in that moment, today, January 15, 2023, can be your born again day. If you're at one of our physical campuses and you do that right now, I encourage you to come down after service and just talk to one of our prayer partners. Father, we say yes to your word. Would you give us revelation on how we're walking in this life right now? And where we are not walking in the wisest way. Show that to us, oh God, and put us back on track. We desire, we say it, oh God, we want to do what's best. We know the days are evil. We acknowledge that. We need your grace to make the best use of the days. And so we say yes, Father. We want to understand your will. We don't want to just mentally grasp hold of it, Father. We want to live in the middle of your will. So would you start giving us more and more grace to do that? Fill us, Spirit of God, and empower us to do just that, I ask in Jesus' name.